Okay, welcome everybody to episode three of the Jankyard. Coming at you a little early due to some scheduling conflicts. Um, on my side, that's me, Killer Cactus. Um, alongside the man with the migraine, that's the treatment. Hey there. Um, hopefully treatment's going to feel better for the rest of this episode. And also with us is, you know him as the hypest hype man that's ever hyped. And that's Mandrix. That's me. I'm here. No migraine, <laughs> no YouTube videos playing in the background. Just pure yes. unadulterated hype. <laughs> that's right. That's there how we, we like it. We like we don't like our hype adulterated at all. Nice pure hypeness. You should be super hype. We got two out of three wins this week. That's that's exciting. You guys need to pump up that energy. Yeah, we got we a do. we got a slam jam victory. You haven't played yet, treatment, right? No, I haven't. So I can't let you guys down. So it's only hype right now. Yeah, round two slam jam victory. No thanks to the treatment at all. Um, but he's gonna he's gonna make us three and zero, right? I hope so. I mean, maybe this is the migraine. You know, this is why I had to carry <laughs> you guys last week, and finally now you stepped up. I can relax. Yeah, there you go. We're trying to give you a week off. There's some controversy surrounding our deck picks this week, Killer. There is. Yeah. Mayoni. There was some there was some uh insinuation that we're not allowed to play stuff that's not janky. <laughs> although although I thought I mean, you know, I guess Cloudburst Griffin isn't really janky and it's kind of difficult to say that it is, but I've never seen Mayoni pull Cloudburst Griffin out before. Yeah, no. I did it anyway. I thought it was pretty innovative. Do you have you don't have hypnotize in that list, do you? No. Who needs that? Yeah. I got, so we should I got Griffins, man. We should say what our, our matchups were maybe and you can So you were on you were on a Mayoni. I was, yeah. I had to play against Bill. B Perusis and on Discord. It, yeah, B Perusis. So yeah, we were playing against Team Canada, or I, I don't know what their name is actually, but I call them Team Canada because they're all from Canada. And um, I, w I had to play against Bill, and if you guys know Bill, Bill is really good at the game. He's really good. Um, he's he's one of those players that uh, you know, when I think of like the top Ashes players on Earth, like you know you you have like Matt and Carl. And um, don't don't start this list, man. You get in so much trouble. You try and make this list, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Brian, that's who I, I couldn't think of. I Brian's name was like falling off. Like I'm you basically just um, have to start listing everyone. Philly, yeah, Inquisitor, you, 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 you do. Yeah, all those, all those guys. But like, but Bill, like Bill's one of those guys. Like when I th there's people that I get onto a game of Ashtekey with, or I sit down across the table from, and I'm like intimidated, right? But immediately from playing, and Bill's one of those guys. So I, I saw that matchup and, you know, I failed last week in our round one game. So I felt like I had to up my game, you know, both to avenge my failure and because I was playing against somebody really, really, really good, um, you know, or not, you know, not the German isn't really, really, really good last week. But just like, again, I get intimidated by some of these players. Right. So I, I brought something strong. Yeah. German's really, really pretty good. <laughs> He's a lot better when he doesn't meditate his unique cards. Yeah. It that was an amazing game though. Just like let's just be clear. It, I mean, it came oh, down to just you know a few like one or two 
I wouldn't even say mistakes, just different play lines that could have gone either way, depending on what each of you had. It was a close yeah. game. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, but, you know, for this one, I've been playing this Mayoni like on and off for the last couple of weeks after I got off of Airedale, like my next competitive list that I was kind of messing around with was this Mayoni that has Cloudburst Griffin. And I'll give German a shout out because it was his kind of original idea, or at least a riff off of it to play Griffin and Mayoni. Um, when he did the last set of adventuring party decks, he hit his Mayoni there has all the snakes in it, right? It has Right. Silver Snake and Ruby Cobra and Ruin Dweller. And one of the things that he really liked about that adventuring party deck is the fact that, you know, every round you can just drop Ruin Dweller and have a three attack unit sitting there to use with Command Strike. So I, I thought that was really cool. And the Airedale I'd been playing, you know, in the pod events for the previous couple of weeks had a lot of the divine summons. It had Cloudburst Griffin and Lightbringer and Winged Lioness. And I liked having a lot of those. So I just kind of transferred two of them into Mayoni. And with that kind of same thought, right, is that I can summon Griffin every round and always have that three attack unit available to just summon and immediately command strike with. And on top of that, Griffin is really good at eating unit guards up, or I'm sorry, Phoenixborn guards. So... There's a lot of pressure, I think, with having a Cloudburst Griffin out there swinging at something, knowing that if you guard with your Phoenixborn, you know, I've got a Silver Snake still that could just blow up one of your knights and probably not die in return. So I liked that kind of thought. Plus, having Lightbringer in the deck is, you know, helps get the snake through to face. So that was the main like ideas of building it. Um... Yeah, and you, I, and it's done really, really well for me. Yeah, and it, I think you had a really fortunate matchup um, where oh, there's no doubt Bill was on a Tristan that um, had Salamander Monks and Seafoam Snappers. Um, was he on Crab as well? I can't remember. Um, no, it was Ruin Dweller. Oh, Ruin Dweller. Um, that's right. Salamander and Snapper. And he started a string mage, and then he had what, crimson bomber. Yeah, I think the, I think the first five were those three books and string mage and crimson bomber, and he had a couple of extra dice left over. But I think really wanted the string mage in round one to kind of control my snake. Right. But but that played you know really nicely into my cloudburst griffin. A string mage is you know, cloudburst griffin you know attacks string mage really well, obviously, and. That ate up the guard and then let me, you know, I was able to kind of ping off some of the other units to build the snake up strong enough to get rid of the string mage pretty early. And, at, you know, between that that kind of happening and then him not getting to use all of his dice in round one. Um, and, and I came out of round one with a, you know, with a beefy snake and a, I think a guild are still alive, maybe. Or a Lightbringer, one of the two. And I think my griffin was still around, too. So it was a. Kind of just rode that advantage the rest of the way. Yeah, it was a it was a little bit of a round one blowout, um, and I didn't see like I mean I think the only mistake you made was the golden veil play on the string mage because you still had enough counters on the snake to take it out. But oh yeah, yeah I'd never seen that I'd never seen that play before. I golden veiled the string mage's ability, and I did that because I expected him to play crypt guardian. 
and I wanted to have enough attack to kill a Crypt Guardian. Um, but then he ended up playing Crimson Bomber instead, so I didn't need the fourth attack. So I just kind of wasted a Golden Veil on the String Mage ability and was scared about that, right? Because obviously Tristan's got Tsunami Shot, and I really want Golden Veil for Tsunami Shot. Um, but the, he he meditated one in the first round, turned out never drew one after that either. So I think just between... I, I don't think his draws in round two were great. Um, just kind of a very fortunate game for me. But just stepping back, I mean, I think one of the, a couple of the things that I found interesting about the Mayoni, even though it's not strictly janky, I would say, but you were taking some different approaches than I think Mayonis have taken or the top Mayoni decks take, which is that you didn't have explosive growth because you weren't in those colors. You weren't in either sympathy or nature, I think. Oh, no, you had nature for Gilder, obviously. I have nature. Yeah, and the snake yeah. itself. Uh, but you didn't have sympathy, and then you didn't have hypnotize. So um, you were... It's, a, I think, a bit of a grindier Mayoni, actually, than the kind of combo, you know, one-hit one uh, one hit kill Mayoni of, of Carl's, I think, top Mayoni decks. Yeah, I, I think it certainly can be. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm starting four books, right? It's like, it's a four-book Mayoni. Right. <clears throat> and, um, but, you know, one of those books is Silver Snake. So you don't really want to summon a Silver Snake every round. Right. You know, you'd rather have it, the same snake stick around for a while. So in that vein, it's not really a four-book deck, even though it starts with four books a lot of the times in round one. Um, but there, even with no Hypnotize, I think there's still quite a bit of bypass just with Lightbringer. Like, Lightbringer does... Lightbringer plus removal, and the deck has a bunch of that. Yep. Um, it, you know, kind of builds up its own bypass. And I also do run um, two copies of Standstill. Yep. And uh, I, I think that's a very underexplored card. For sure. Especially for bypass, right? Like, Crescendo has been a good card for you know, basically all of Ashes Reborn, a very good card. And it's what Mayonis have used a lot of the time to get through if they don't have Hypnotize, because like you said, a lot of Mayonis are in sympathy because they want explosive growth. Um, the, you know, the, the problem with Crescendo is it can get canceled by, you know, Golden Veil. Actually, I think Stan still gets, still gets hit by Golden Veil. Right. But Crescendo actually has three cancels in Angelic Rescue, which is actually seeing more play, and right. Fate Reflection and Golden Veil, whereas Standstill just has the Veil. Yeah, correct. And that was kind of my thought, was um, Standstill is a lot more reliable to get, just to get one big attack through than Crescendo is. Yep. So I, and, you know, also, Crescendo only gets rid of one guy. I mean, if I run into Fallen or something, or, you know, some deck that's going to put three of the same dude out there, then standstill can just ignore all of them. So you can, you know, command strike something and attack and standstill and get past three guys to get in. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. It can definitely change the calculus um, around which units you're removing to have the standstill in hand. You can, you know, suddenly you don't have to worry about setting up crescendo on a three health or less unit by focusing on removing knights. You could potentially let a knight sit there isolated, for example, knowing yeah. that you can swing through with standstill. So I think in some ways it actually significantly expands the targets for removal because you don't have to focus removal on the biggest threats if you can if you can make your snake big enough, fast enough. Um, you can let a big threat sit, um, tank it with guard, for example, and then swing through it with standstill. So I agree. I think standstill is a really, really cool card, and I thought that was a really 
interesting take on Myoni. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's also, if you just, in the same vein, there's not a lot of big unit plays that, that's, like, a lot of the big knights have not been used as frequently in the current meta as the small chump units. So you don't need the three damage. You don't want to risk the reflection back on the snake. Right. Um, it's easier to just, like, and, like, you know, how many people, I guess if you're in a pinch, you know, you might golden veil a standstill just to protect a sally or something so it stays there. But in general, you're probably trading better than if you tried to do a crescendo play and you just get, you know, whomped back. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the other thing is, you know, just having Clobber's Griffin in the deck, like, you don't necessarily need to have a huge snake to get a big swing through. I mean, Clobber's Griffin has three attack, and you, know, you can get a couple of them on the board at once. They swing pretty hard by themselves, right? And, you know, I have I do run Call to Action, which, you know, is a, a, a card that you see Mayoni run anyway because she wants to refresh the snake, but um, I really like it with Cloudburst Griffin because you can swing early in a round with Griffin, probably eat a Phoenixborn guard, right, which Griffin usually does, and then if they attack back, and, you know, plus I have Lightbringer to make them attack back, um, call to action can reset that Griffin and hit again or take out a key unit. Um, and you know, I, I, I had a quite a few games in practice. Not that I played a ton of practice games with it, but I played a few where like call to action, refresh Griffin and then swing back through was like the win con of the deck. Yep. Um, and I don't know, it's just a, it's, it seems a lot more versatile, you know, Spender's kind of like you said, than some of the other, you know, general one-punch Mayonis are. And I like that. I, I don't like to kind of have all my eggs in one basket, usually, um, unless I built the deck specifically to do that. But um, I think you need a, you need to have a versatile deck in the metagame yep. today. So it's uh, it's been really fun. I, I think it's a, an interesting deck that you should play elsewhere, too. Like, I know it was built with the sort of team restriction in mind. That's... Kind of like what I'm seeing in the Slam Jam so far. Whenever I peek into a game, it's like it. It's interesting how almost every deck has been built with the restrictions, but they are so clean in their plan that it doesn't feel that they are restricted. Um, like it just, I think it showcases both the how good the the pool of cards is right now that there's so many things that three players can build from one set really good competitive decks and it also shows the you know deck building skill of all the different players where you're getting these very different decks and they're still all as far as i've seen you know fairly close matches um now, obviously, this match versus Bill was a little bit of a blow because I think it was a, a round one first five mistake. But other than that, um, you know, it's not like his deck wasn't a solid idea. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I think that's right. And I mean, I'll use this as a segue just to talk briefly about the match I had against Waves uh, because I think it demonstrates what Treatment was talking about where... Waves was on a completely different plan than Tristan was in that he was heavily focused on uh, Divine and Charm. It was a 
there's always debate about what control means in Ashes, but I would say it is because every Ashes deck, given the emphasis on removal in the game and the battlefield has, I think, control elements. But that was definitely a heavier control deck built in some Bali. Um, it had Steadfast Guardian and three books of Steadfast Guardian to get the alert unit guard and be able to refresh it. It had Neil, uh, it had Imperial Ninja, which did an enormous amount of work actually caused me quite a lot of problems uh, because he was able to play it and uh, refresh it with some Bali as I was finding it difficult to produce enough pressure to, to remove it through the Steadfast Guardian. Um, and then he also had Beast Tamer, a lot of the usual suspects in the Charm uh, Divine world. Um, and it all came together in a pretty intense um milk package which i found really interesting um i was also running a, a melbourne leo deck um which again very different plan than what um killers mayoni was doing but the card pool is so big enough is so big now big enough and diverse enough that you can i think every team can really have three distinct plans that have coherent decks um the one i think set of overlapping cards was a killer gave up Sympathy Pains to me for Reach, and I gave up um, Golden Veils to um, Killer, because obviously Golden Veil, across a portfolio of three decks, the Golden Veils need to go with the Silver Snake every time. You just can't put yeah. them anywhere else. There's no way. If you've designed another deck that's as reliant on Golden Veils as Myoni is uh, with Silver Snake, you've, you've made a grave error. So, um, yeah, so my Leo had... Small Sack, Ruin Dweller, and Salamander Monk as the books with a plan to get a String Mage down round one um, and flank the String Mage with the Finch and a Crypt Guardian. Um, and that ended up working out quite well. The Crypt Guardian, as he usually does, created a ton of problems for for Waves. Um, I didn't want to... Uh, I didn't want to exhaust the Steadfast Guardian because I figured he might be on focused books, but it was able to take care of the Beast Tamer, for example, and just generally give the Leo a bit of a battlefield advantage. And I think that's one of the sneaky things about Leo in particular is as much as almost any PB, because of the way that Anguish and Glowfinch work together, plus his sixth battlefield, he can get close to actually creating pressure along all three of the mill, burn, and swing win cons, which this deck does. It is ultimately, I think, a mill burn deck, but it has some some real threats, uh, like in Ruined Dweller for Swing. It also has Blood Archer, um, Master Vampire, that can create some, some pressure on units. Um, and it ended up being really important that I had Master Vampire as it came down to round six <laughs> against Waves. It was a really tense match. And I needed a Master Vampire swing. Uh, we were each on one health at the top of round six, and he needed a Master Vampire swing uh, to gain me the health that I then needed to recur Fire Archer um, to threaten the win. So, and that ended up winning me the game. It was it was one of the best Ashes games I think I've played in a really long time. Maybe not in pure accuracy of play. I think thinking back, there's some things I could have done differently, but just in terms of tension and. Waves played an outstanding game and a really cool deck. That that game was amazing to watch. And one of the, I mean, there were a couple notable uh, parts of the game. The, the first is that 
you were on Leo, you know, with a semi-burn plan, and he was on Symbali, which is traditionally not a mill plan, and he decked you first. So it was cool because I think you were basically at uh, at full health or 17 when you got decked, and then what did it go on? A, a two rounds where you took the full yeah. five fatigue? At least, so yeah. that was wow. like wild, just to see wow. the like the the amount of pressure that, um, he had enchanted violinists, which you know are really sneaky because, um, it's just such a good drop for the the ping in the mill, and then on top of also that, also really good with purify. He yeah, that's exactly. So he used I think all three purifies, um, which was oh, just man. great. Like it was like just the the most efficient use of i guess two dice that you can probably have in terms of getting um a full removal possibly second removal and a mill it was great and then um the combination of because he had royal charm on on the board and so every time he was either you know using it to um using divine to summon steadfast or using a charm for beast uh, tamer, um, or even imperial ninja, he always had it. It populated, and the number of times where you could have had either a swing that would have caused him to lose a unit, or otherwise, he had the charm there ready to buff, uh, you know, your your unit. Or divine on winged lioness, he did a couple times. The divine on winged lioness was also critical because you had the Finch and the Crypt Guardian. So that was amazing. And then the ability on top of that, whenever he used the divine buff on Imperial Ninja or Beast Tamer, you didn't just have to worry about taking the hit once. You had to worry about it twice because it was Symboli. So being able to to extract that extra value from Gift of Wings by virtue of having the a dice already on your unit was really cool. And uh, it was just, I mean, Steadfast is one of the units that I've always championed. Um, I built a lot of decks a couple of months back with it, and it's just it was really cool to see how well it fared against what arguably is a very, like the Leo list is super strong, and it just happened to be a combination of things where the match got so close. So I, I really enjoyed watching it. It was super cool. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty upset I didn't get to watch that. That that sounds awesome. But um, Royal Charm has always been a card that I love in Sambali because of what you just said, Treatment, where she's, you know, if she uses it for Divine, she's able to get double benefit out of it. And th- this is a, you know, so first of all, like just hearing about this deck, I I just love like everything about it. And here's here's why. Right. This is this is a perfect example. And maybe I I might be segueing too early or we can we can table it and come back to this later. I know we want to talk about kind of some deck building things today. But to me, and I don't know if this is what Waves did when he built the deck, but it sounds like a perfect example of what I call like a jumping off point. And that that is like starting with a, a certain card or a certain idea and just letting building a deck from there, almost letting a deck build itself from there. Right. So like I envision like looking at Symboli and Royal Charm 
and saying, okay, this is, this is cool. I have gift of wings that lets me get double benefit out of my divine buff, right? That's, that's a cool idea. I want to use that. Where do I go from there? And, you know, obviously if you have divine royal charm also works with charm. So then you get into the charm side of things. Um, and then you start thinking about which allies, you know, can work really well with Simbali to use with their ability. And, you know, Beast Tamer always comes up. Imperial Ninja, I think, is genius. Um, I, I, like, that's something I never really thought about is refreshing Imperial Ninja to get the double mill. Um, that sounds really, really cool to me. But then you go from there, right? You say, OK, I want to play Imperial Ninja and double mill with Simbali. You know, what else do I do to support that? And then you look at Enchanted Violinist that meshes so well with her Purify. And all of a sudden, just by starting with Royal Charm, you have this shell of a deck with just Sembali, Purify, Royal Charm, Beast Tamer, Ninja, and Violinist, right? That's like, okay, I'm going to build this Control Mill deck that's in Divine and Charm. And you just kind of flesh it out from there. And yeah. that, that just sounds like a, a really cool kind of blueprint for deck building and something that like people that are trying to get into building new decks can really, you know, take something from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Cause, um, I mean, it was going to be a, sort of our topic anyway, but you know, it's, I think it's a good anchor point to, uh, to some of the other things we're going to mention. Um, I've seen a lot of people, you know, especially new players or otherwise, I even question as early as this morning or maybe it was last night on, you know, after you play the pre-cons and after you play the adventuring party decks, how do you actually, like, what do you do from there? You know, um, well, I've seen a lot of questions around, well, here's a deck, um, you know, or here, here's something. What do you guys think? And when you look at them, you don't necessarily see a cohesive idea. And I think in terms of like, how do you just look at the, you know, near 400 cards of ashes and build a deck? Um, I think that's a really good topic for us to start on um, and continue. And so I'll pose the question to you guys when, you know, when you're like just sitting around, you're like, you know what, I'm going to build a new deck or you know, there's a tournament or something. What's the, what's the first thing you guys actually do? Like what, what's your process? I'd love to hear Cactus talk about this, but I often start with an interaction between a couple of cards that I want to see that I think is interesting. So I think about a synergy. So the, deck I made for Shuffle Bus a couple seasons ago, very, very close to the Shuffle Bus season, and um, was the Simbali uh, Realm Walker Hunting Weapons deck, but that was an example where I was just like Hunting Weapons and, and Realm Walker share and on uh, when declared attack, uh, when you declare an attacker trigger or when it's declared as an attacker, and suddenly it gives Realm Walker a way to isolate bigger threats if it can remove with the one damage ping from hunting weapons a one health unit alongside it um, and it helps it punch through. Um, 
and then I went really, really deep on <laughs> focusing on that synergy. Um, so, you know, I gave, I put a Unicard around it. I thought of a bunch of other basically potential counters uh, because it's such a powerful potential weapon, but like it was all keyed off of that. And I will say that I think a lot of people talk about getting clarity on your win con. And I think that's crucially important. And I mentioned the three win cons that are, are generally seen as the win cons and ashes of swing. Um, so often win via a bottom of round and then top of round swing, or just via top of round swing. Mill, where you deck your opponent and, and do fatigue damage. And then burn, where you're using the burn spells to, to go to face. Um, and I often back into the win con based on the cards or the synergy that I find interesting. Um, but I do want to get really, really clear about the win con of a deck once I have a, a key synergy in mind. Yeah, so there's... I, I've got a lot of similar thoughts to that. Um, but I will say this first. When, when I go into building a deck, like, I have a... I have a different starting point depending on what I'm trying to do. Right, like, if, if I'm going into a tournament in which, you know, I already know the metagame or at least have an idea, right, of what it is, and I'm trying to win, right? Like, my my starting point is different than if I'm just trying to come up with, a, you know, a new idea to work with and refine, right? So most of, the, most of my decks that I build are the second thing, right, where I'm just, like, let's come up with a new idea, and see if I can build a shell around it and then make it into something competitive. All right. If I'm doing that, then I, I do a lot of what you just said, Schmendrix, where like I'll start with an idea um, or kind of like what we were just talking about with Waves' deck. Right. Again, don't know if that's how he did it, but that's what I do a lot. Like here's here's one card I want to build around or one idea. Right. That that I think is cool and I want to explore. So I, I guess for example, here's an example of one I just did last week. Um, and it was, you know, I was trying to build decks for um, for the, the Jankyard, the heal units thing. And it was, my, the whole thing started off of treatment when you, um, I, I had a deck with Biter in it, I think. And I was trying to heal stuff. And you were like, you know, Turtle Guard would be better here because, you know, it's not going to get ice trapped and it's easier to heal because it has more life. And... Like, Turtle Guard is a card that I constantly forget about. I just, like, I have this, like, mental block that it actually exists, and I I never think about it at all. Um, So you mentioned that to me, and then I thought, okay, like, it's I should, I never considered Turtle Guard. It's a Ninja Turtle. It's sneaky. Sneaks up on you. I, I know, right? Yeah, I I just, uh, it's it always catches me unawares, and <laughs> I forget that it's a thing. Um. And th there was a lot of talk in the Discord this week for one reason or another about the card Devotion, uh, which never sees any play. Um, but so I th that was on my mind, too, for a different reason. So I thought, OK, Turtle Guard and Devotion seem cool because Turtle Guard can't attack anyway. And it has Unit Guard. So if it was alert, then that would be awesome. Right. That was so that was my starting point. I said, OK. I'm going to build a deck with Turtle Guard and Devotion, right? You know, that's my jumping off point. Where do I go from there? So I'm in Time, Divine, and Charm, right? So I'm probably in some sort of, you know, grindy control type 
shell just because that's what those colors are. Well, divine and charm, especially, but time has some of it too. Um, th those are good at that. Right. Um, so whenever I start thinking about long grindy control games, when I'm in charm and time, I want generosity. Right. So I said, okay, I let's, I want three generosity. That seems to make sense with what I'm doing. And part of my idea was I want to focus Turtle Guard specifically because I want to use the focus ability of the Turtle Guard book that forces me to exhaust a turtle to exhaust something on my opponent's board. And I figured I could do that and then side action devotion to immediately refresh my turtle that I just exhausted and get, you know, the alert benefit. That's so gross. <laughs> so I wanted generosity, not, you know, not only because I'm in the colors, but also because that helps me draw to focus my turtle book. <clears throat> so from there, I said, OK, I, I want to I, I'm drawing a lot of cards. I want to focus a book. I'm in a long, grindy shell. You know, I haven't even thought about a Phoenix born yet. Right. And I need a win condition because right now I don't have one. All I have is a unit that can't attack. <laughs> so um, so I just I, I, I went to Auric immediately I said, OK, Auric gives me he, Auric is, you know, gives me an ability to help focus my book that I'm trying to focus. He's better probably than anyone that's not Jericho at focusing books. And he comes with a built in win con in concentration that, you know, also works with my plan of getting my turtle book focused. So I jumped to Auric and kind of like a, that, that's usually about the point in the build where I get a Phoenix born, right? It's not it's usually not right at the beginning. It's somewhere, you know, after I kind of start fleshing out my original idea and seeing what Phoenix born it works the best with. And then I say, OK, now I have a Phoenix born. I've got five spell board to work with. Um, I've already, I have turtle guard. I'm going to play that. I have concentration. I'm going to play that. I need three more. I have three more spell board that I can use. Um, you don't always need to fill your spell board up. I, my OCD kind of makes me always want to do that, but I think specifically in Oric it's good. Cause again, he can, he's good at focusing, but I started trying to talk, think about books that help me, you know, help me do this. And so I immediately went to Wishing Wing because I'm already in time and that's going to draw cards to help me focus books. So I threw in three Wishing Wing books and then, you know, crap, Title Crab from there is kind of e an easy ad because it's so good with Wishing Wing. And then uh, I went with Snapper as the fifth book to because Oryx only got five Battlefield and I wanted some self-clear. So Snapper seemed to work. And, you know, that like my spellboard kind of got fleshed out really quickly from there. And after that, I just kind of started trying to, you know, fill in cards that supported the rest of my plan. If my main win con was going to be concentration, then I wanted to make sure I could slow the game down as much as I could. Um, I'm already in divine and charm, so I just threw in a, a bunch, a few kneels and. Uh, a sunshield sentry. And then just uh, I think I rounded it out with uh, seeds of aggression in the deck because I would, again it's good for self clear plus seeds of aggression is awesome with turtle guard because you can use it on an exhausted turtle guard and it won't take damage but it will deal it to the opponent's unit so that's pretty cool 
or you can use it on like a four attack wishing wing just that's already exhausted just to blow up your own wishing wing and kill something else and you know free up some battlefield space so that does a lot of stuff for the deck and i ended up with this four color you know so i was in time charm and then one divine and one sympathy die each deck that is very looks i've not played it but looks very grindy and um but has a win con and does something cool with turtle and devotion so like that was that was an example of how i build a lot of the times i'm just trying to like take an idea and flesh it out it's a little different in like a tournament setting um i'll usually start more with like a I, I won't net deck something, but I'll start with like a a more consistent shell that I know works or that will work in this meta. Um, and and build and kind of put my own spin on it is what I normally do. But lately, I've been more about. Like playing what, you know, and knowing what you play, I think I said that on an episode or before, um, which is why I went back to Aerodel for my last couple, because She's the Phoenix born. I'm the most comfortable with in my hands, like for yeah. whatever reason, for whatever reason, I like having water blast sitting there to just blow up a two life unit as a side action for a nature die. Who doesn't? That feels really comfortable to me and fits like my play style. Yeah. So <clears throat> I like she's my crutch, right? If I <laughs> I just go back to her. It's not a bad crutch, though. No, absolutely not. And, she, you know, Airedale is one of the most consistent Phoenix born in the game. Um, very good stats, an ability that's always going to be excellent and put you in what, you know, this is up for debate, but what I still think is the best color in Ashes in nature. So it's, you know, it's kind of easy to fall back on and and build a nice, a good deck with. Um, but anyway, that that's kind of my thoughts is if I'm just, that, that's how I like flesh out ideas and when I'm building a turn a tournament deck, I'll either like take a known shell and put my own spin on it, or just grab something I'm comfortable with and try and build in some answers for the current metagame. Maybe we can come back to that as we get closer to the Shuffle Bus World Championship, and you can once those lists are posted, or maybe before you can. Give yeah, because some... you're invited, right? Yeah, I am invited. Mm. I've I've given it zero thought to this point i should probably start thinking about it a little more this is how you end up on aerodel <laughs> right yeah i just i don't i, I want to think about uh, you know devoted turtle guard rather than like you know building a deck to win the world championships but that's you know that's why i'm doing this podcast i mean i don't know that my process is entirely different when it comes to a tournament um like shuffle bus and you know spoiler alert maybe that's why i haven't done that well um but i have i guess i have uh a, a bunch of different approaches that really boil down to the first thing which is setting a, a core concept or you know something to anchor your deck build um, because like I said, there's so many cards in the pool that it's really helpful to, uh, be able to narrow your focus on a subset of cards 
and you need a, a core idea for that. And I oscillate depending on the day on what I'm going to do. So that core concept can be anything from, I you know, a, a specific Phoenix born. Sometimes it's like, hey, I you know what? I don't really play with Fiona. Um, so I or you know I haven't played. Yeah, that's with, smart. Uh, you know, Auric or something. And it's like, well, I, okay, so that's going to be my anchor point. And then um, sometimes it could be, you know, how about I want to explore these two to three colors in a, in a certain combination? Like, oh, you know what? I think maybe Illusion uh, Divine Charm could be really cool because, you know, I sort of scroll through my deck list and I'm like, seems like I really have a, a bias to, you know, these two or three colors lately. Let's mix it up and, and let's look at these other colors and then see how those like those become my anchor point um sometimes it's you know the like what we do in the jank yard which is picking a specific um theme or even a specific card and saying okay well it'd be really cool if i explored steadfast guardian i'll just pick that because that, that's uh you know what we were talking about earlier and um, and even sometimes I pick something silly. It's like, oh, I want to build uh, around, you know, um, I, was, I have a lot of sometimes movie references pop into my head. And I'm like, you know what? Like, you know, you did the Ninja Turtle deck as sort of your naming after the fact. But sometimes um, one or two cards will make me think of something. And I'm like, I want to build a deck like that. Um, I think six months ago. I went on a, a little stint for a week where all I did was build decks around Disney movies. And uh, <laughs> it was just like, that was the thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to build, you know, movies or uh, movie related decks. And so it doesn't matter though, as long as you find what your, your um, core concept is. Um, I would say most often for me, it's more like Schmendrix. It's something where I think of a synergy and that synergy could ultimately stem from a specific card that I think I haven't used or is underexplored. And then I'm like, okay, once I have this idea, what is, um, I try and look at what is the strength because there's gotta be a reason to use that thing. Um, so for example, when I was recently, um, shadow and I, and I'll, I'll talk about this probably in another month or, or bring it up, but he and I, for a while now, um, have been going through every Phoenix Born and building a deck for it. And that was a really fun collaborative effort. Um, and it's it's really interesting because there are so many Phoenix Borns that you sort of, especially when you start the game, you focus on, you, you know, you sort of learn the game and you get good and used to one style of play and then you try and switch it up you're like oh wow this is so different or some of the phoenix borns for it and there's you know 28 of them um it's just if you're only playing a couple of games a week it's a lot to try and get through all of them i mean it could take you over a month just to play one deck with every single phoenix born so that was a, a thing that you know challenged us to go through each one and build a deck and that was really eye-opening because then you're specifically looking at what does this card, what does this Phoenix Born in that case do that's better than other things, or how can I extract the most out of it? And 
that's really cool because it leads you to thinking about, um, I use it as like a filtering point. So I'll take the different things. I'll sort of brainstorm like, okay, this is really good at, um, you know, mill or it's very defensive or it's very offensive or it can do these cool tricks. Like when I think of Jericho, I'm like, okay, well, Jericho comes with blink. What are all the coolest cards that you could blink and get the most value? And so I start filtering my list. Like I, I'll just look at ashes and, um, you know, if it, obviously if you're working off specific color combos, it's really easy to filter everything and then go from there. If you're, uh, doing a healing deck like this week's theme, it's really cool to just like, I, I basically create a, an empty deck and I just go through and I start adding everything that could be, is either direct healing or could be considered healing. So I made, a. I had String Mage, I had Living Doll, um, you know, all the heal cards, Butterfly Monks, things like that. Uh, and then I started thinking, well, what pseudo healing is, you know, not taking damage at all. So I added uh, Sun Shield um, in there and just a bunch of things. And so I create this huge sort of list, usually ends up being somewhere around like maybe 20 to 40 cards. And then from there, I start to look at the synergies um which ones you know have what what's the synergy i want to pick as like the core like maybe two to three cards and then from there um building up the the sort of idea to sometimes five to ten cards you know there's no i don't have a specific number like this is my cutoff but you know i just sort of start adding like okay what can expand and support this idea now, this advantage that I see, or the, this you know unique aspect of whatever uh, whatever I've decided to build on, and um, and then you know keep adding, and you know once you add in multiple copies of certain cards, you might end up at somewhere around twenty cards um, or twenty five, and then from there I say okay, well that sort of is the core idea and everything. Um, I start adding in the support. Uh, cards so cards that either cover bad matchups um you know you, you might think okay well this is a voltron deck so i need to be able to deal with um uh, swarms meaning stacking alterations on single units so yeah sorry i should that's a, a term from a different game um so building a big unit up you know you you're like, okay, I got this huge unit with alterations and, and ways of, you know, refreshing it, that type of thing. And it's like, but now it's kind of weak to huge swarms because it's only one unit. So you start adding in the AOEs and things like that. Um, so that's just, you know, an example. Um, and I'll usually end up going over 30 cards, um, sometimes by a lot, sometimes not by a lot. And then it's the process of trimming it down. Um, to really refine the idea like is this actually making a difference or not um, or am I missing something like you know I, I will analyze along the way the wind condition usually the core idea will push me in a certain direction like you know in, in one of the three lanes I guess um, so it would be a swing deck or a mill or a burn and then I say okay well what can I have as my um, my plan b and start adding in those cards uh a lot of times it does end up being um burn as a plan b it tends to be i start with mill or i start with swing and then add in burn but there are instances where i 
look at it the other way and say, no, this is actually more of a burn deck and, um, and in one of the others. And um, so that's sort of like where I start with my core ideas. And I need to get better myself at, at least when building um, so-called competitive decks, uh, sort of tuning them with maybe the assumed meta in mind. Although I do think, I don't remember who it was. Uh, it might have been Matt Bowers. Um, we were, it was like a tournament ago, and someone had said that they had more mostly started now playing, I think it was even just like their first fives. Like, if you have a strong plan, play the plan and don't, because you can really overthink yourself, um, both in matchups and uh, especially Shuffle Bus. I've always found the mind games of like oh this is what i think it's gonna be and you know everyone starts talking like oh yeah this deck this um phoenix born is gonna be the boogeyman and so everyone counter builds and then shows up to the list reveals and there's out of 30 decks there's maybe two or three of them um brennan's the perfect example right i mean aside from jk uh and then neil who played it the, the the most recent season it was like talked about for what three months as the boogeyman and nobody <laughs> nobody but one person played brennan so you you have all these mind games i think my take now is i focus more on like is the idea i'm building solid and i'm going to go with that idea rather than trying to do a lot of second guessing but there are obviously cards like you can look at it more from a what is my my deck exposed to so obviously something like a hope creepers deck is a good example of just taking a mind like can i handle a lot of units just slamming into me which is not all that different from maybe uh gates thrown open or a symbolic thing like if you're thinking about if i if my opponent refreshes or has you know a, a lot of units out on the board at one time can i handle it and i think if you look at sort of those generic broader scope considerations then you can narrow it down and and build a lot of really cool decks and my goal has always been to try and not be um not pigeonhole myself into either the same cards um or the same crutches i guess as you could call them because uh, there it's certainly easy when you're I, I think it might even be a good point to start on when you're new to deck building is you know like if you always start with the burn package of molten goals final cries sympathy pains that can get you a lot of places or um who was building redenter was building decks this week with uh, the goal of having them beginner friendly and you know starting with just three of everything you know one get get 10 cards that represent your core idea and make them all three ofs and then from there once you have that you can trim one or two cards here and there and and slot in the uh, extra cards that will fit certain matchups or, or, you know, fix up your weaknesses. But I think that's a totally valid way of doing it too um, and making it simple on yourself so that you're not covering, you know, not trying to cover every possible matchup. You're not trying to um, think of every possible card that you might come across. You're just like, here's the, here's the idea and let's start with that and then refine through play. Yep. I wonder if we should... Um apply these principles to talking about 
clues deck in particular from the jank tank um, submission. So the jank tank this week. I want to jump in real quick and say one more thing. Yeah. I, we, I do want to get to the jank tank stuff. But one thing we that none of us talked about in that whole, what, 20 minutes or so, we just, like, went on about how the three of us build decks, all of which was extremely valid and cool. Nobody really talked about the first five at all. And that's a, it's such an important part of Ashes. Um, and it's, it's interesting that the three of us don't really build decks with a specific first five in mind. I do think that you at least have to have that in your head while you're building. Like you need to start thinking, you know, what are you going to start to, you know, I guess treatment did kind of touch on it when he said like, play your plan. Um, and that's true in the first round. You don't need necessarily all the time need to overthink, you know, flexes and stuff in, in the first five. But I do think it's a very valid way to build decks by like, instead of just finding you know, one little synergy that you want to build a whole deck around, like finding a first five that you think is very, very strong against, you know, just in general or against the meta or whatever, and then building your deck to support that. Um, it's something I've done a very small handful of times and is something that I feel like I should do a lot more of. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I think it's important, but I will... So here's two thoughts. One, um, in terms of like my point about picking a, a core idea, picking... Um, you know, picking two to three cards as your as your synergy can also be the elements of your first five, right? Yeah. So it's not to say that you're just building a deck and then figuring out the first five later. You can say, okay, well, you know, here's the two or three cards that are going to be my anchor point. Again, using the Steadfast Guardian as as an example. And you say, okay, well... If I have Steadfast Guardian and I have um, Winged Lioness, right, how do those synergize? Well, it's great because I have an alert unit guard to protect the Lioness from basically anything but, um, you know, ice traps and, and the like. And it can pick off units. Cool. And alert unit guard with three life I can do a lot with. And so those are always going to be um, on my spell board. So that's my first five. And then you can build from there. So that's fine. Um, but I also think, and this, this actually now is stuck in my head, I think for the last month or two from a uh, clues article. And he said something along the lines of your first five does not, I'm very badly paraphrasing. Your first five does not have to be, um, support. Uh, it does not have to be the rest of your deck or something like that. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be. The case where you pick a first five and then your the rest of your deck is built around that first five, you can actually have because round one is so different two phases of the game. You can say this is my first five. It's a strong opening. It's going to cover a lot of bases. It's going to establish you know whatever, and then the rest of your your deck can be whatever you want it to be. It can be a toolbox deck. It can be you know all reinforcing down the first five path like just everything supports those you know five cards or 
I mean, honestly, when we're talking about first fives, it's probably more like three to four cards plus a flex, uh, usually some sort of like removal or whatever. But I think you can go both ways. I don't think it has to be designing a deck first five and then what else am I going to add? I think it can be, you know, pick an idea or even build a first five and then what's the rest of your deck? It could be something completely different. Yeah, I, I think those are interesting areas to explore. I think, I think it's worth shouting out a couple of other deck builders and competitive players, uh, specifically Asterix and Kauko Mieli come to mind. Uh, Kauko Mieli is not as active recently, uh, but both qualified for the Shuffle Bus World Tournament uh, World Championship. And I think, I know Asterix has explicitly talked about this, and I think you can see the same ideas at work in Kauko Mieli's decks, which is that they tend to design decks actually basically as collections of first fives. So rather than say, I have one first five and there's like two phases of the game or I'm going to build the whole deck around the first five, they say, they think about like, okay, I want, you know, three to four very strong first fives into different situations. And those might have like two or three overlapping cards across them. Like Asterix's Brennan from a couple seasons ago uh, and the Shuffle Bus had so many different looks it could throw at you, including one with Gorenrock Brawler and then, you know, value stuff and all burn. Um, and they had very different plans. Uh, I mean, JK did the same thing too, right? He had the all burn open. And I think that's, that um, is something that I aspire to do more of. And I think when, when I build competitive decks in particular, I have started forcing myself to define at least three to four first fives that, um, I see as potential plays into different expected matchups. And that Symboli deck that I talked about, the Realmwalker Hunting Weapons, those two cards are really the only locked cards in the first five. Uh, and even Hunting Weapons is not always locked. There are some situations where you might want to swap it for Root Armor. And the rest of the deck was basically like options to potentially first five, uh, which is a trap I fall into because then you're almost doing pure counterplay and it's a little head spinning. But I think there's a, I think there's a rich middle ground between those ideas, which is to really think about what are, yeah, four or five, three or four very strong proactive plans I can make with a set of cards uh, in the colors and with the Phoenix born that I've, that I've picked. Um, and I, I really admire the way Asterix in particular can do that. I mean, Chaos Theory, um, that's like how he got the, whatever it was, the, the top four, the top two, or did he win? I forget the, um, when he had the Herald deck, right? Part of that. In the one day event, I think that was a top two. Yeah, but that was, his, yeah. his thing was like, you can't predict the first five, right? He had a lot of different opens, a lot of different looks, um, and that was part of, you know, the success of it is that he could just first five differently for matches and they were all strong first fives. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw something in there on the first five and because it's it is very important. Ha like like you guys said, have a couple plans or at least, you know, at least one solid plan that you can swap a card in or out of. Use all of your dice or at least have a plan to use all of your dice. Um, It's not terrible to use a dice power in the first five if you plan for it um just stuff like that i i it, it always like pains me when i watch it like a new player plays and they use like seven dice in their first five and then just have three kind of chilling out there um that's a good way to get really behind and have a hard time catching back up in the game but so just like have that kind of in your head while you're deck building is 
all I wanted to get out. A subtle, another subtle reason why nature is, I think, I agree with you, still the best color in ashes is you can yeah. have so many more first fives that are like anywhere from one to three pings and still know that you're yeah. going to have a strong first five. Every every Aridel game I played in both of the last pod tournaments, first five to nature ping every time. Yep. And I and I was perfectly OK with that. Like my first five only ever used nine dice and I had a nature ping and I always felt great having that ping. But you got to you plan for it, right? So Jank Tank this week was um, healing units. Um, and I think I'll just make a couple observations of the submissions. So we got submissions from the three of us, all designed decks. Um, Waves, Clue, and Shadowfire submitted. And I apologize if, if other folks submitted that we missed, but those are the ones that we saw. Check out the... Uh, jank tank or jankyard uh thread rather in the deck building channel of the discord if you want to see the conversation about these um and i, I think all but one of them or oh, no uh let's see four out of the six i think ran uh steadfast guardian that was a very uh, very popular pick which in some ways has with the focus effect a healing a healing effect on itself and it's a really great target to heal and it's in the same colors as sun sister which is perhaps the premier unit healing unit um but i think by unanimous consent the deck that we all liked best was actually clues deck which didn't run steadfast guardian has a more aggressive i'd say uh healing plan and uses a card that sees extremely little play which obviously moves it up i think all of our <laughs> all of our ranks significantly in uh drain vitality um and i think the basic idea, it's called No Devil Like Devoted Blood Archer or Essence Druid. Um, and Clue provided this description. Uh, control the battlefield with Blood Archer, Drain Vitality, Winged Linus, and Lightbringer. Keep your units on board with Drain Vitality and Sun Sister. Win the game with Overkill. So, um, doesn't make explicit reference to Devotion, but that Blood Archer, Drain Vitality, Winged Linus, Lightbringer is eight dice. So you could have room for a Devotion in round one. Um, or possibly a um, a Sun Sister. My favorite thing of the de in this deck is the uh, Drain Vitality plus Blood Archer combo. It's just really cool. Not not just that. I think the whole uh, Essence Druid devotion thing is disgusting. Like just the idea of that. Just having an alert Essence Druid. You mean? Yeah, that like that's is just, that's just like going to be pain. And the fact that you can heal it with Drain Vitality. Um, Although I am surprised now that I'm looking back at the list that he did not include a veil, but yeah, um, I noted that. Too. I guess there's just there's so much pain looking at this list that <laughs> I don't think you care if you lose the the druid you have every other night in those colors. Yeah. Well, I mean, he has angelic rescue instead, and you know maybe it was just a, kind of a theme thing where you know angelic rescue heals the guy, and that was what we were looking at was healing units, right? So, Oh, for um, sure. Maybe that makes it in over Golden Veil just for that reason. Um, but my thought was like, there's not very much main action healing in Ashes. There's a lot of like cards that will heal you, heal your guy or your Phoenix Born with a side action. Um, or in like in Generosity's case, forces you to use the side action along with the main action. But not a lot of cards to do with a main action, right? So like, you know, Drain Vitality is a card that sits in our Jankyard logo because nobody ever uses it. But, um, you know, you come, it, it'll, it'll heal 
uh, one wound off of, off of a unit. Excuse me, I can't talk. Um, it heals one wound off of a unit as a main action. And I think it's just really cool to like side action, blood archer, shoot something, main action, drain vitality, shoot something again, and then heal your blood archer back so that you can shoot next turn too. Um, that's just, uh, that is like a really nasty little usage of those two cards. I mean, it's interesting because it's like a small sack string mage combo, right? Except it's with... Yeah. Which which do we prefer? I mean, this is five dice to three. Yeah, I mean, small sacrifice string mage is way better. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Right? I mean, there's you're not going to get anything there, but like... But drain vitality... I mean, you can't... Blood Archer can't heal itself, right? String mage heals itself. Um, You know, so that's a whole different kind of can of worms, right? You can't, you, Blood Archer can't do that, but does have the ability to shoot something twice and then still attack for three. Yeah, three times um, with the Drain Vitality, right? You could get three shots Right, off. yeah, three times, at, yeah, at least with, with Drain Vitality, right? So, I mean, I, I don't know, I just thought that was a really cool use of, of Blood Archer and... Uh, you know, using a card like Drain Vitality that never sees any other play um, in a cool little combination. I mean, obviously, there's other unit healing stuff in here. You got Rescue, you got a Sun Sister. Um, and because this is Xander, we can keep bringing back that Sun Sister to keep healing things. Um, and, you know, you, you've got Devotion, which doesn't heal but does increase life, which kind of does the same thing. And Recover Value. Which is the right. Built -in oh yeah, it does add recover. Yeah, 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 and you know, the, it all in like you know a Xander kind of ally toolbox deck, and Xander is kind of healing allies just by recasting them. Yeah, <laughs> um, and bringing them back. So, uh, I I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I just I'm trying to think as because I I came up with the same, um, like my first. Uh, I guess grouping of cards included Drain Vitality, and it was going to be the plan I went with. Um, and I was just looking at it to be like, you know what? I do wonder. Yeah, it's got the same vibe as String Mage, but String Mage can be awkward sometimes because it's three life and because you got to do the intermediary shift to do the heal. So you got to shift off of like another unit, um, basically, if you want to heal something else. Yeah, it's good if you're doing the straight small sack onto the string mage and then, you know, punt it over. But it only really saves the string mage. It doesn't save anything else. And the ability in one turn to um, to save your alert units, for instance, like your, it's got this list as Sonic in there which is awesome. Um, it's also got units that you want to be aggressive with and naturally probably take damage. So healing your master vampire, your grave knight, um, your, uh, your blood archer, if you end up do getting through, you know, a small swing at the end, it's just, I think it's a really interesting thing to take a look at again. Um, and it is kind of cool that you can play it as a like play the card itself as a side action yeah it costs the the basic tax um 
but I don't know. I, I think it is a card I want to actually try some more in some, some different capacities. I was actually looking myself at a few different decks, like a Koji deck, and then turns out that Waves was thinking along the same lines. Um, so we can talk about that list soon, but uh, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if Clue has taken this first spin a few times and just dunked on people because healing is rare uh, outside of, you know, Butterfly Monk, which is the most common unit, um, and it's awesome. Yeah, and something else real quick about this deck that I... Th and this has nothing to do with healing units other than the fact that these things have recover value that I wanted to call out is the three Wing Lioness books. Um, I have not seen a deck with three Wing Lioness books in a long time. But... Um, Wing Lioness has four copies, right? Yeah. And, and like, I, I really think, like, I we should have more decks that run three Lioness books, right? You know, not only can we not, um, you know, not only can we not first five Lioness in this deck because we have three and can draw into it, but, like, that's not a book that you mind focusing. I mean, it has no focus effect, but I don't mind summoning two Lionesses in one round. No, especially because they're always a target, right? Yeah. They're always going to get the first ice trap or the the water blast or the end of the fray, whatever it is. They're going to get the hate. Um, so it's awesome if you can have two and be like, okay, well, I'm stalking you eventually. Yeah, and it's not like you're going to run out of them because there's four of them in your conjuration pile. So I, I just, I think that's really cool. I mean, other, you know, and they recover, right, which is another thing that everybody forgets is that these things have one recover, Jesse doesn't forget. This no, was the, Jesse's the card pieces. he was champion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on. I was against him when he first started saying that, but I'm on the train fully now. I'm on the lioness boat. And uh, it's a it's a really good card. And I, I think I'm interested in seeing more three times lioness decks. No, I think that's totally right. And it just was also making me think I, I don't think I've ever considered lioness as one of the books I'd include in a like gates open, for example but that would be really strong or just in a deck that's already running generosity, for example, or wants generosity having lioness. The fact that you can always probably refresh it to play another lioness is notable. Even if you're not going to go yeah. a full whole hog on the three books. I mean, just like with this, with this list, once a sun sister and you know, either the devotion is down or whatever, and you have obviously the drained vitality down. How do you ever actually clear these units? I mean, uh, almost every unit is a knight. There's, yeah, there's the one fire archer and the polarity mage, but you have Sonic, you have Master Vamp, Grave Knight, I mean, Druid. I just don't, you're going to have to have so much insane removal because you can't chip away, especially the Sonic. You're never going to chip that away. Um, I think the only thing I would change is adding a Veil, and then it's like, this list is just so hard to get through. Yeah, I think the inability to chip away, that, uh, there are a few other decks that were submitted that ran Sun Sister and Steadfast Guardian, which I think, I played three games with my Odette list, um, and won all three, not super competitive, mostly casual testing, but like, yeah, just a having a steadfast that won't exhaust is hard to kill will guard everything including the sun sister and you can't really 
throw your salamander monks into it and, and kill it because the Sun Sisters will just keep removing those wounds. Really annoying. Yeah, Sun, Sun Sisters is a card that I've... Like, I almost had a Sun Sister in my Gen Con deck. It, it's a card that I think is very, very underutilized. Um, being able to heal... Yeah, healing... A, you, you, it heal, she heals a wound for free, and she doesn't exhaust to do it. Like Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's really good. And I, I like I'm going to pull it up on the screen, as a matter of fact, so people can see it. I mean, that's a really good card. <laughs> like, nobody so, ever plays this thing. I do wonder why no one's played it. Like, is it just because it's a two, two for two that you never want to attack? I mean, I just think I one. it's one of those things where you look at a card and then once you do and you really think about it, like this is how I can understand, you know, Red King publishes 20 decks in a day because it's like you're going to latch on to a card or a little synergy and just exploit it for all it's worth in all the different kinds of shells. I mean, I just think of Sun Sisters, Steadfast, and Rin, for example, and be like, hell yeah, with Ice Buff, now it's a 2-3 with a 1-3 backup, or it's a 1-4 as, you know, the, the unit guard alert. It's, it's just crazy. Yeah. Also notable in this list is Sun Sister and Earthquake. Um, yeah. Earthquake's going Earthquake's gonna to put a wound on your own stuff, and then Sun Sister just takes it off. <laughs> and uh, if you don't deal with those right, like right now, then Sun Sister is just gonna clear them all eventually, um, off of everybody, everything else. So that that was interesting too. Um, but yeah, Sun Sister, play more Sun Sisters, people. That's the takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's our jank tank for next week? What's our design challenge? Well, let's let's find out. Maybe uh, I think it's yeah. We've we, we've spent a lot of time talking about some other things, so it's probably time to go to the wheel of jank and wrap up. Yeah, I mean, I'm still going to give a shout-out, though. To, like, Waves' list was a close second for what we were picking. Yeah. Uh, his was, just as a quick summary, it was a Koji deck uh, entitled Jungle Bungle, and it was primarily based around uh, three Butterfly Monks and Majestic Titan. And then he had, you know, um, like Pain Shaman or whatever in there. But the, the Lick Wounds from Koji with the other healing and the ability to refresh all that stuff is also very cool. Like, it's a cool list. Yeah, th that got me thinking. Lick Wounds is another card that can heal as a main action. And now I want to make... Heal and refresh. Oh, yeah. Oh, no doubt. Now I want to make a Blood Archer Lick Wounds deck. Just to yeah. sh shoot stuff and then sw and then swing and refresh it or whatever. And, like, you could, like, main action refresh the Blood Archer and heal it. And then side action shoot something again. Uh, in the same turn, that's that was pretty cool too. You can you can side action heal refresh a majestic titan and then still swing. Yeah, that's wild. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I pulled his deck up so it's just least people can take a quick peek at it on YouTube. But yeah, no doubt. Yeah, very close second. It was cool. Um, so I do have the wheel of jank pulled up and uh, taken out heal units. So let's go ahead and spin it and see what we're gonna build for this week. Um. The Wheel of Jank has been spun and is coming away on the Empower Cannon. Oh, nice. Okay, so, I mean, I've already seen... Shadow published a deck, uh, I don't know, like a month ago, and it was in Aerodel, and it was wild. I played against it. I think it's got like four book taxes, but it's still... It just... I, <laughs> I was confounded for how to get around that much blast removal. It's it's fun, but um, I'm interested to see what other ideas people come up with. 
Yeah, that it, now that the time cycle's done and we have stuff like Tidal Crab and Ocean's Gift and stuff that throws status tokens all over the place. Um, th This is interesting. Just, just like, I mean, I don't want to give away too many ideas, but like Tidal Crab comes into play with two tokens on it. Yep. Right? Like, you can play a Tidal Crab and then next turn just focus and power and hit something for three damage. Because it, it puts a token on first. Um, so like that take two turns, you can just blow something up for three with one die just with empower. Uh, so I think there's lots of cool things. I want to figure out some shenanigans with, uh, empower and mirror spirits. Yeah. That's another one. That's good. Maybe I'll, maybe that will be a Koji deck where you just, you have the infinite ability of throwing around tokens and blasting things or exhausting yeah, so them depending on like, you know, what you need them for focus mirror spirits. That'll be cool. Yeah. So, yeah, this will be a really fun one to build. So I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, we got we started like our first episode. We got like one person submitting decks. Last episode, we got like three or four people submitting decks. So this week or this this one, we should have like 10 people. I'm putting out a specific call. I want to see what Charlotte and Red King have to do, uh, have to bring. Putting out specific. Yeah, I'm putting out specific calls. Yeah, you've been called out by the treatment. Fail to submit a deck and he will roast you unmercilessly. There you have it. Well, I don't want to... Uh, this has been really fun to chat, but I, Killer, I know you've been really working hard on our sign-off, so do you want to <laughs> share what that new yeah. sign-off is? I, yeah, it's... Uh, it, full disclosure, It's it was the intern's job to come up with the sign-off. Um, he's not here again this week and is in a grave peril of being fired. But... Um, he did come up with something. So um, with that, I guess we can wrap up this, you know, this week's episode of the Jank Yard a little early for you guys, but hopefully we'll be back in another two weeks. Um, in the meantime, if you're not janky, you're stanky. <laughs> oh, beautiful. So like great. Shakespeare. <laughs> right. Pure poetry. All right. Yeah. Take care, everyone. We'll Later. see you next time. Have a good one.